Hi there, my name is Yun Lee. And I'm Ray Purnell. And we're the curators of Bar Talk. So Bar Talk is a lecture, performance, and storytelling series that usually takes place in different bars in The Hague. Each event has a different theme where we feature four different perspectives to speak. We also have a Q&A session from our audience. This is technically the 19th edition of Bar Talk, but since we can't have a physical edition because of Corona times, we are now recording a podcast series. Speakers will give their talks and then we'll ask them questions ourselves and from our audience. The theme of this series is language as an organism. Over the past weeks, we've heard from two psychologists, a performance artist working with her dying mother tongue, and a linguist who also happens to be our Dutch teacher. This week, for our fourth and final episode, we'll be speaking with Minsuk Kang about a story of how the small Indonesian Chiachia tribe picked up Hangul, the Korean alphabet, to preserve their language. Minsuk Kang is an artist living and working between The Hague and Seoul. She studied sculpture and media art at Seoul National University and received a master's degree in artistic research at Royal Academy of Art, The Hague. Since moving to the Netherlands in 2016, she has engaged in daily actions, storytelling performances, and publications based on her long-term research. So stick around, kick back and relax with a beer or a tea, and listen to this bar talk. Kurakura no pumba mu kelinchi, marimba poli papaye hattem, ikita harusu segera tapanjule i istana. Kemudian kelinchi no pukau, iso kurakura bodo, pinatang purae pakaluara no hateno. I'm Kang. Thank you for inviting me as a guest on Bartok 19. My ongoing research is started by reminding the old Korean news. It's about the Korean government officially exported Hangul, which is a Korean alphabet, to an ethnic minority called Jia Jia in Indonesia in 2009. South Korea is one of the few countries in the world with its own writing system. We are not alone in celebrating the day to mark the creation of Hangul tomorrow. There's a tribe in Indonesia that also uses the system. Kim Jae-hee reports. Some 70,000 people of the Xiajia tribe in Baobao City, located on Puton Island in southeast Sulawesi of Indonesia, adopted the Korean alphabet in 2009 to complement its spoken-only language. The head of the association, Kim Hanlan, says she hopes the Xiajia tribe can be acquainted with a better life through Hangul. It's not just about teaching letters. We wish to provide a foundation for a new, better life for the Xiajia people and allow them to get to know Korea better as well as promote bilateral cultural exchanges. But it raised lots of questions because I couldn't easily understand this phenomenon in many ways. Why do they especially import Hangul? Are there any political and economical issues intervened behind this? Furthermore, I'm also curious about the current situation in Jia Jia. 
if they still use Hangul as its official alphabet. Indonesia consists of more than 18,000 islands and a multi-ethnic country which has 300 ethnic minority groups speaking 550 different languages. The Jiajia is a minority of only 70,000 inhabitants living in Baoba city. As the language disappeared, it was absorbed by other peoples. Actually, UNESCO encourages minority to write history and culture in Roman characters to protect the identity of minority in general. In 2005, a Korean professor who visited Baoba city discovered that Jiajia doesn't have native characters. Upon hearing this news, one of the Korean organizations suggests the use of Hangul to them. The Jiajia finally held a meeting with the tribal chief and decided to introduce Hangul as a tribal script in the end. After these decisions, the Korean government promised massive support, but only one year later, all teachers who were supposed to teach Hangul to Jiajia should return to Korea in early 2010. They had many difficulties due to economic and practical issues. Now, only one Korean teacher who feels responsible for this currently remains to teach Hangul. The pronunciation used in Jiajia cannot be properly expressed in writing letters. On the other hand, there is a criticism that Hangul is not very suitable for the Jiajia language. First of all, the Jiajia language distinguishes notes of R and L, which are easily able to write with Latin letters. But the Korean notation doesn't make a difference between R and L. Today, many languages are dying. Especially the language of the minority group disappears more rapidly in response to this change in times. Extinction of language could mean the extinction of culture, ideas, and history that the language has developed. To protect the disappearing language, are there any alternative ways? Why are they so keen on dissemination hunger? Do I understand it as a perspective of humanitarianism or cultural imperialism? Or should it be taken as a natural phenomenon? In this uncertain time, I couldn't go on a research trip as I planned before. Hopefully, I can manage to have a field trip in this near future and hear their authentic voice and thought. Yeah, Minsuk, thanks so much for sharing your really interesting research um, about how the Chiaxia tribe decided to adopt Hangul. Yeah, you've laid out this ongoing discussion and relationship between Korea and the Chiaxia tribe, but for our listeners who don't know this history, can you give a little background on Hangul itself? Because it wasn't, you know, the first written alphabet that was used to represent Korean, and also just to give an idea of why it's so particular that they chose Hangul of all alphabets. Actually, 
uh, I really need to do more research about it, but currently they argue that even though they are using Latin letters for writing Tiazia own language, but they think some pronunciations used in Tiazia cannot be properly expressed in Latin letters. So there is a concern about confusion with Indonesian. That's the reason why the Tiazia tribe decided to adapt Hangul because that's more suitable for Tiazia language. And Hangul is a pretty new language, actually. It's uh, investigated by Sejong King. We also had um, colonial history uh, by Japan. At the moment, we couldn't express or use our own Hangul as well. Yeah, it's really <laughs> big question. <laughs> yeah, and, and before that, actually, Chinese characters were used, weren't they? Yeah, that's true. But Chinese character is really hard to learn it. That's why the King's Hedrong decided to make more easy letter for the public in general. So at that in the past, only the people who is well educated can only read Chinese letters, and so that's the reason why King's Hedrong invests uh, the Hangul. Um, so we have another question from a listener. This is from Laura from Rotterdam. And they ask, did the adoption of the Korean alphabet affect the Indonesian dialect in what way and vice versa? I just know that they made a Tiazia Korean textbook written in Hangul. And also they tried to make a um, street sign written in Hangul in their own community. Mm. But... Yeah, more details. I need more dig it, dig into that. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> um, so we have another question. Um, you talk about how the languages of minority groups disappear more rapidly in response to changes in time. So are there any alternative ways to respect and protect the disappearance of language? Or should it be taken as a natural phenomenon? Do you have your own personal stance on this? Yeah, that's why I'm also questioning about it by doing this research. But if they really want to protect their own language, maybe it's okay. But as I mentioned before, the most important part is to communicate with own local people and what do they really need it. That's the most important part. So we have a final question from Cecil in The Hague. So Cecil wants to know, how would you have wanted to conduct your research had you been able to? And how can you continue your research in the current situation? In this certain time, I'm just trying to research all material online. Also, I'm, I would try to contact people who is uh, uh, really involved in this project at the time. They are uh, really worrying my research could impact on the people who is uh, staying in Tiazia community mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. because they really want to know why I'm interested in this research. And when I ask about uh, political and uh, social background of the, behind of this issue, they don't answer to me actually because it's a really sensitive issue for them 
but hopefully I would like to have a real research trip in Indonesia in coming months or years. <laughs> That's the best thing. <laughs> Good luck on your research, uh, wherever it takes you, and thank you so much for your time. Yeah, see you soon. <laughs> All right, bye. Bye. <laughs> So that was our final episode of the podcast series, Language is an Organism, from Bar Talk. Once again, I'm Yoon Lee. And I'm Ray Parnell. Thank you for sticking around for these episodes. If you like what you heard, follow us on social media and be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts so you can hear from us when we start up again. We want to thank our producer, Hans Poole, our PR person, Nia Constantinova, Denise Lee for designing the banners, to II for allowing us to use their sound studio, to Strom Denhaag for supporting our program, and last but not least, to all of you listeners out there who have been tuning in with or without a bar. Thank you, and see you at the next Bar Talk, whatever form it might take. <laughs>